Freedom Hut. Some surprising poll results that actually suggest Trump's in pretty good shape for this election. Plus, Governor Whitmer of Michigan blames Trump for the kidnapping plot against her. Yelp says they're going to call out racism allegations in businesses. A 25th Amendment commission from Nancy Pelosi. And the next debate, moderator steps in it. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Honored to have you here with me. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to keep saying this, keep doing this. I can't help it. Not only is it Friday, which is nice, because it means at least there'll be a little bit of a, of a respite from all of the craziness in the news cycle. But, man, we, we are rocketing along here to Election Day. It is going to be here in the blink of an eye. And I, I wanted to start before we get into the usual crushing of the libs that occurs here on the show. I wanted to start with something that we should always have in the back of our minds as we're going forward here. Look, I'm a, I'm a big believer in persistence, preparation, dedication, endurance, right? Endurance and persistence. If you could give me endurance, persistence and discipline, if you can give me those three traits, I think life is going to be pretty successful, right? I, I think those are three of the best ones you can have. When you're younger, I think it's more, oh, creativity and inspiration. And no, you, need to, you need to endure and you need to be disciplined. Uh, so I, I think that luck also should always be added in somewhere there. If you can be lucky, it's often better than all of the above. And the same is true in the opposite direction. Sometimes it just goes against you. Donald Trump has done a phenomenal job as president of the United States. He is also doing it at a time or was doing it until a time when there was a pandemic that has completely upended the global economy, our social lives, our interactions, our day to day. It's a nightmare. okay? and there's nothing that Donald Trump could have done, despite what the media wants people to believe, to stop this pandemic in its tracks. That was never going to happen. This is just a bad thing that has happened to humanity now. It's exaggerated by the media in terms of what a risk it is to all of us every day. And they don't look at this like adults. And the Democrats have been trying to leverage this at every stage in every way that they can. But it's clearly a mess. It is clearly a huge drag on everything, on all of us, on the president. And I would just say we should remind ourselves of this because if it weren't for covid I really believe that the president would be sitting around on on poll numbers, looking at poll numbers that suggest that he was going to win everything he won in 2016 and then two or three other states in addition. So just another electoral college landslide. And that's what should have happened. That's what we were heading for when I was talking to you about the Trump administration around this time last year. Many of you will remember I was saying, enjoy this, friends. This is about as good as it gets in America. Booming economy, uh, a president who's slapping down the left wing media and all their nonsense. No unnecessary wars, no massive American security uh, challenge that has people frightened and, and worried about their safety every day. And then the Democrats, unfortunately, benefited tremendously from the horrific 
pandemic that we've gone through. And now they're in a position. This is why I'm very honest about this. They they could win. And we all need to understand this. They could win this election as much of a joke as Joe Biden really is. For those of us who are being honest about it, as absurd as this Harris Biden ticket may be to those with decent judgment and some memory of what the candidates were saying, what they've done in the past, particularly with Joe Biden and uh, what a buffoon he is. They can win this thing. Make no mistake about it. And that's why, on the one hand, I I want you to make sure that you do everything that you can. People say, what can I do? Uh, The same thing I would say, pass the buck, pass the Trump. You know, and I'll even say for the next couple of weeks, it's more important to pass the Trump than to pass the buck. Ah, I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. But make sure that you get anybody that you know who's thinking about voting, that you bring them down with you. You offer to, you know, give them a ride. Make sure you encourage friends and family to vote for President Trump. Uh, we are in we are in states that are swing states here. This show is heard all across the country. We need you to make sure that you get every vote out there. And that's that's part one of this. Uh, part two is just understanding that they can win. The Democrats can win this thing. But even with everything the country is going through right now, I think you should at least hear this because I know the polls show Trump down and a lot of people are just saying, fuck, I don't believe the polls. Look what they said in 2016. Correct. In 2016, they were generally within the margin of error, but they were all in the margin for Hillary, which seems like it's not a coincidence, does it? And so therefore, the perception was all polls have her up when really all polls should have been inconclusive. If that's if they're all within the margin of error, they don't know. They, They didn't know. And then the New York Times famously had, what was it, 97 percent on Election Day that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And then we got to see that slider move down to 70 percent, 50 percent. Oh, that was great. I'll never forget when Trump won Florida. I was live on radio at the time. I'll never forget when that happened. And it just hit me. Oh, my gosh. Trump is actually going to win this thing. But even with the pandemic and all of the challenges that have been have been just falling on top of the heads of the American people for the last uh, 10 months. Because with the pandemic, we kind of knew it was hitting us in January. We started to feel like something was up. And then in February, that's when the, the, the real concerns started getting raised. But with all of that, there was this Gallup poll. I, I think this is pretty remarkable. And it goes to the fundamental question about this election, the one that all the pundits and pollsters and myself included, every, everyone's just going to say, are you better off now than you were four years ago? Looking at politics as a function of results, actions that have consequences that affect you, that affect me, that affect the rest of the country. Are you in a better place now than you were four years ago? Now, very interesting, because it would be tough to argue that the country is in a better place now than it was, say, a year ago. Obviously, that's not true. Obviously, the coronavirus pandemic has really hit us hard and cost a lot of lives. But yet when people are ask this question there's clearly a a large portion of the american electorate of, of the american people who recognize that for as much as government can be in control of uh they do think they are in a better place than they were four years ago so i think that they're compartmentalizing at some level or they're understanding that COVID has hit the whole world And there are other things you'd have to look at. We are going to get through this. How is the country doing otherwise? Can you gauge this 
presidency without allowing it to just be a, a vote on whether or not you're upset about COVID because COVID isn't Trump's fault. And the media is trying desperately. The Democrats are trying so hard to push that. It's just not. It's irrational. It's wrong to suggest that this is on the president's shoulders. And that's obviously. And look, there are some things that are much more attributable. Even the economy, for example, the president can play a large role, but there are many factors. And Bush got crushed at the end of his second term, or I should say the Republican Party got crushed because what really happened was a decades long policy uh, of well, housing policies in this country that were in part driven by social justice concerns and then monetized by Wall Street. And then it was a ticking time bomb that went off at the end of the, of the Bush administration. It's bad luck that could have gone off a year later and would have been the start of the Obama administration. And everybody would have been talking about, except for Democrats, of course, what a disaster Obama was for the economy at the very start. Instead, you know, a, a just one of these accidents of history or one of these sets of circumstance that determines the course of history. Obama gets very lucky in that the economy is in a cyclical recession when he comes into it. And so all he ever has to say is what was so bad when I started. Look at where things are now. And people realize, well, it was a slow recovery. It wasn't a good recovery, but it was enough of a talking point to get him four more years. Right. Compare your worst month in 20 years of job losses, let's say, to where you are a year or two after that. And surely the number is going to look better. What percentage, though, even though we're in the middle of covid, even though our economy is is in this semi frozen state and we have had. Just weights put on our ourselves on our shoulders preventing us from being able to go forward economically it's been such a drag on all of our productivity and prosperity according to gallup which i think is probably the most reputable polling agency there is or the, at least the most widely known here's americans views on whether they're better or worse off than four years ago would you say you and your family are better off now than you were four years ago are you worse off now Percentage that say they are better off. This is based on registered voters, friends, registered voters. Fifty six percent. Say that they are better off today than they were four years ago. Fifty six percent. That's uh, I mean, that would be landslide territory if that's what actually turned out to be the election result. Right. Clearly in favor of Trump. What was it in 2012? When Obama was able to win, this is the same Gallup question, the same polling agency. What was it in 2012? Uh, December, I should say, of 2012. Forty five percent thought they were better off. Two thousand and four, forty seven percent. Nineteen ninety two, thirty eight percent. Nineteen eighty four, forty four percent. Fifty six percent of people who are registered voters, according to Gallup, think that they're better off now than they were four years ago. That is only something you can explain by saying that 56% of people, one, are personally, materially in better circumstances now, even with a pandemic, and feel better about the trajectory, long-term trajectory of the country, even with a pandemic in the background than they did four years ago. And this is just a way of saying, friends, that there is hope here. Even though the administration was dealt a very crappy hand of cards here with this china virus that has spread all across the country even with that 
It seems there are enough people who understand the difference between bad circumstances and bad leadership. The Democrats are desperately trying to conflate the two. But I think the American people know, or at least enough Americans know, that that's all just that's all just a smear. That's all just propaganda. Let's see if we can actually translate this into an election win. Nancy Pelosi doesn't even want to see what the election results are. You know what her plan is? A commission, a 25th Amendment commission. Uh, And she wants to start that right now. Oh, let's talk about this. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. When we hear people saying I'm I'm young and I'm a perfect, perfect specimen instead of addressing the fact that what 50,000 people were uh, infected, reported to be infected yesterday, nearly a thousand people died. What are we talking about here tomorrow? By the way, tomorrow, come here tomorrow. We're going to be talking about the 25th Amendment, but not to take attention away from the subject we have now. That's Pelosi yesterday. She, she's not trying to, like, distract people for cheap political reasons with some ploy. No, no, she's a very... She's a very serious, she's a serious, serious person. She's very serious. Yeah, it's just hello, Trump. You know, we're going to have a Trump talk. 25th Amendment. Unbelievable. But here we are. Nancy Pelosi bringing up, I mean, creating a, a completely fabricated news cycle around the 25th Amendment. But this just goes to show you the degree of desperation that there is in all of this. I mean, this just goes to show you how utterly absurd the Democrats are willing to be, including the Speaker of the House, third in line for the presidency, as shocking and uh, unsettling as that may be. So, yeah, the 25th Amendment. Oh, what was the other thing that Nancy said? I think it was today she claimed that he is in an altered state. Yes, an altered state. He can't really he can't really be trusted to be president right now because he's taking uh, commonly available now medication. Any of us who's under medication of that series is, is in an altered state. He has bragged about the medication that he has taken, Pelosi said. And then Ra- uh, Congressman Raskin came in. Oh, that guy's gross, too. He said that the amendment was, quote, designed to guarantee the continuing peaceful transfer of power in our country only for the most extreme situations when you have a president who can't fulfill the duties of office. Well, we have a president who absolutely can fulfill the duties of office. So w- what are they even talking about? Well, it's just. It gives an opportunity, right? It's it's a way to feed the Trump derangement beast, a way to keep the hashtag resistance narrative going. And that's all they have to do. Right. They, they do this. So then we even if it's absurd and this is I mean, this isn't going to do anything. Pelosi says, oh, wait, wait, I, I want to know. She claims that this has nothing to do with Trump. She's talking about Trump being in an altered state and wants to have a public discussion today about a commission to look into uh, a commission to look into presidential candidate, uh, presidential holders, presidential office holders being removed via the 25th Amendment. But it has nothing to do with Trump. That's what she wants. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Uh, that's her claim. I mean, she says this, I guess, knowing that we will respond by saying, so, Nancy, how how dumb do you think we are? And I think, unfortunately, the answer is very dumb. She thinks the public can be fooled with this. 
And even if it doesn't sway any voters, it's great. It's just feeding the usual resistance slop to the Trump haters out there. So they love this no matter what. Oh, we can talk about the 25th Amendment again. Ha ha. Trump shouldn't even really be in office because he's actually you know, mentally incapacitated. Ha ha. This is the bit. This is the game that they play. Uh, and isn't it so ironic that there's going to be a very real discussion if, if Biden wins? We all know this. Here, here's the truth. Democrats won't say it, but I will. Obviously. Uh, the chances of Joe Biden making it through eight years of, a, of a, the presidency, being president for eight years without having a, a real 25th Amendment uh, issue where the Congress, the cabinet will have to think about removing him and, and having the vice president take over duties is very is actually pretty high. This guy's already had two strokes and he's 78 years old and he wants to be president. He says now for the next eight years. So he thinks he's going to get an 84, 85 and there won't be serious health considerations that. Oh, no, of course there will be. So they make jokes about Trump with the 25th Amendment while they're putting forward. And, and it's all done in a very underhanded and and gross way. But while they're putting forward somebody for whom there will be a very serious consideration of the 25th Amendment at some point, most likely, most likely. I think that you are, are probably going to see Joe. If Joe Biden wins, you'll probably see Joe Biden uh, step down. Oh, all the people that are saying this is part of a Nancy conspiracy to remove. That's crazy. There's no need for that. This is all about poking Trump. This is trolling. Nancy's trolling Trump. It is personal between these two. Trump doesn't like her and she doesn't like him because Trump knows she's a phony. Ultimately, it's it's very personal. Trump understands Nancy Pelosi is a Chardonnay socialist. She's a total fraud. He gets it. He knows. So. The way that Biden is going to step down is he's going to step down if he wins. Just say that it's health issues. I wouldn't even I'd be able to say nothing about it other than, yeah, the guy's old. He's got health issues. Got to have the VP step in. That's just what's going to happen. There's no need for a convoluted conspiracy here. But why are we talking about this right now? Because Nancy just wants to take a little cheap shot at Trump. You better watch out. Trump's going to take some back. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Court packing. Oh, gosh. You mean that we still haven't gotten an answer from Biden on whether he would pack the court? Ah, uh, yes. They're doing everything they can to act like this is not a glaring, gaping hole in the Biden, just a straight shooter, just a just one of the guys just wants to lead the country as a blue collar Joe. You can have a beer with kind of a guy right in his twenty thousand dollar a month rental mansion in McLean when he's not at his four million dollar beach house in Rehoboth. Or I think it's might be three million, but just one of the guys lunch, lunch, pale Joe riding the choo choo every day. <laughs> it's all such a fraud. You know, that's the one thing I've always liked about Trump is the guy's like, yeah, I'm super rich and I have dated and married uh, many beautiful women and I like lots of gold and gilded stuff and private jets. And this is how I roll and, you know, take it or leave it. But that's what you get. You know, Trump isn't showing up shirt sleeves all rolled up. Hey, hey, Alabama, I want to go shoot some birds out of the sky with you now because I love hunting. You know, I mean, this is what all these politicians do and it's so it's so annoying and biden's just another one of them 
Biden is the quintessential swamp creature. The guy's been in politics pretty much longer than anybody else you can think of. He's been running for president really as long as I've been alive. And he lives just out. He lives just outside of D.C. Really effectively takes the Acela from Delaware every day, which is you know like an hour, hour and 20. That's it. He's a total swamp creature bought and paid for by the credit card companies over many, many years. That, that's what you're getting. But, oh, Joe Biden, he's on he's on your team. But he also doesn't have to answer any real questions. Joe Biden, for example, uh, when when asked about what what he would do in the in, or sorry, when asked about what he would do in the debate, he got out of it with Trump because there was a lot of crosstalk. And, and then you had Harris and Pence and Pence was able to uh, push back a little bit and actually try to get some kind of an answer. But Pence wasn't able to get an answer because she won't answer it. So then Biden addresses it again. And if we had a real press corps, this would just be a question. You keep asking this question because it's one that really matters. You ask it until you get an answer. I'm not answering that is not acceptable for something as important as this, for which there is a completely legitimate grounds to ask in the first place. Big issue and one the Democrats have been openly saying they would take a position on, which is, of course, to pack the court. Here's what Joe Biden, you can't make this up. Here's what Joe Biden said. This is the day after the debate when Kamala just non-answered, straight up not, I will, she pleaded the fifth. Here she is, play, uh, or here he is, rather, play one. They'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now, look, I know it's a great question, y'all, and I don't blame you for asking. But you know, the moment I answer that question, the headline in every one of your papers will be about that. Other than, other than focusing on what's happening now. The election has begun. There's never been a court appointment once an election begun. But yeah. You'll know my opinion on court packing when the election is over. You know, this is a a little bit of a continuation of Pelosi's. We have to pass the bill to know what's in it. Right. We have to pass this to understand what's what's going to actually happen. The Biden campaign's slogan now is is effectively you you could shorten it down or you could summarize it with vote first, think later. Don't ask any questions. Don't worry about this. Don't don't think that there's some need for you to get to the truth of any of this. Just give us. Give us all your faith, Joe. But you can trust Joe. But lunch pail Joe riding choo choo from Scranton, blue collar Joe, you know, just hanging out with all the lunch pail workers and rolled up sleeves, man. I'm, I'm a great guy. I'm friends with everybody. Love everybody. I'm Joe Biden. The whole thing is such a fraud, isn't it? And then there's Kamala Harris, who you really got the sense has just never been who has never been particularly tested in politics. She's just found the way, you know, it's kind of the Clinton, the Clinton, uh, Hillary Clinton approach runs in New York, not even from New York, runs on her husband's name recognition. Kamala had a very powerful male politician benefactor early in her career. We don't often get to talk about that now. The media would be all over that if you were a Republican. But no, it was a Democrat. So we won't hear about that. Uh, but, you know, Hillary runs in New York, not even from New York. And it's all based on name recognition and just kind of skates along, goes from first lady to senator to secretary of state to would be would be president. Why? Well, what what great challenge did she overcome? She didn't even really win a particularly important Senate race in that it was going to be against Rudy Giuliani. That would have been a real test because Rudy was in many ways at the height of his powers. But then Rudy got sick with cancer, had to get treated. And he had Rick Lazio step in there who you've seen. Probably never, but maybe once or twice on a couple of political talk shows. I think he 
shows up once in a while on CNN or something. So does uh, Rick Santorum. I just I feel bad. You know, Rick, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know him. I've actually I think I've maybe interviewed him once. I don't even remember if I've interviewed him. So that probably tells you something. And uh, he's over at CNN. And I just want to tell him, man, you don't you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be over there. You know, there, there's a whole big wide world out there. Plenty of ways to make money that don't involve being a punching bag or being a, a semi anti-Trumper over at CNN. It's, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. I'm just going to say it. I, I hope he hears this. Not worth it to do it. Plenty of other places. Um, but look, people got bills to pay. I know. You know, it's an expensive. It's an expensive country. So it's going to get a lot more expensive, too, if we continue to spend trillions of dollars. I see now the economy, the U.S. economy, we now are going to have more in debt than we have in annual GDP uh, for the year. That's that's a, a benchmark that we really didn't want to cross. That's a threshold that we were hoping to avoid crossing. But sure enough, we're already there. Uh, but back to the, the court packing, because I, I thought this was uh, noteworthy. Kamala didn't answer the question in the debate because, remember, the truth about Biden and Kamala's intentions, the the truth is the enemy of their election prospects. And they know that. So they're going to do whatever they have to do. They're going to convince people in whatever way that they have to that this is, you know, this is fine, that they're non-answers, that they're pretending like they didn't hear the question, whatever it is, you know, voting present. Uh, that that is is sufficient. Here is a montage from back during the campaign, the Democrat primary campaign of various politicians. You're going to have, uh, oh, what's a better? And uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, also known as uh, Warren Wilhelm or Bill de Blasio. Bill de Blasio, Beto O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Marianne Williamson. I think a couple of others in there. All be, oh, Cory Booker, all being asked about whether they would pack the court. Now, this was pre RBGC, right? So what, what's changed now is that they didn't want to sound crazy and tell people when there was no advantage to it that they would pack the court. But notice one person actually wouldn't even wouldn't even give that assurance during the during the primary play three. I don't know that expanding the size of the Supreme Court is the best way to address legitimate concerns we have with its objectivity. I believe that uh, expanding the size of the Supreme Court is the answer. I, I am not. I do not think expanding the Supreme Court makes sense. No, no, no. Where does that stop? It's a race to the bottom. I'm not convinced that expanding the size of the Supreme Court is going to fix anything. Roosevelt tried that in the 1930s, didn't work so well. Are you open to expanding the size of the Supreme Court? I am open to that discussion. You'll notice that last voice. I'm open to that discussion. That was Kamala Harris. Friends, she is very transactional in her politics. Put it mildly. And she will do whatever she needs to do to get where she wants to go. Perfect for the Democrats, then, because she has, as we know, there on a superficial level. There's a lot about her that appeals to the Democrat elites and establishment. And she is clearly able to understand how the system works within the the Democrat apparatus. I mean, she's risen to being the senator from from California. But she even then was saying, you know, I'm open to that conversation. 
Whatever it takes, folks, whatever whatever needs to happen for Kamala to uh, achieve and accumulate and wield power. That's what she's going to do. You think Joe Biden's going to stop her? You think blue collar Joe is going to just sit down and, you know, have a have a, a foot long with all the guys by the construction site? Hey, I'm just Joe Biden. I'm just one of the guys. And he's going to say, hold on a second, Kamala, that like crazy left wing stuff. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do radical stuff under my president. This is a Joe Biden presidency. Joe Biden was vice president to Barack Obama, who completely steamrolled Republicans without without apology, lied about what Republicans uh, concerns or opposition was rooted in. Just at every opportunity that Obama could, it was in your face, my way or the highway. That's it. Elections have consequences. Take it. Deal with it. That was Obama's philosophy on everything, on health care, on immigration, on the economy, on foreign policy. There was not a single worthy bipartisan effort or moment from the Obama administration. Joe Biden was his VP. I mean, I'm not saying that he was going to be in a position to really stop Obama. But does anyone think that Joe Biden all of a sudden is going to develop a a major backbone and and push for a more moderate, sane course for the country? No, he's going to do whatever the Democrat donors and the New York Times and and, uh, Washington Post editorial boards and CNN demand that he do. That's it. Everything else, crazy. Everything else, fantasy land. That's what Joe Biden to Kamala Harris presidency would be like. And that's why I think it's so interesting that even Kamala was like, yeah, court packing. Open to that. What do you guys need? What do you want? Huh? Kamala can make it happen. Make Kamala in charge. Give Kamala the power that she wants. She'll deliver for the left. She'll deliver for the progressives. Same thing with Biden. Now, look, if they were running and telling you that, I'd have to say, okay, well, at least they're up front about it. Bernie Sanders is up front about it. He's like, I'm a socialist. It's going to be socialism, baby, nonstop, 24-7. Bernie Sanders is all in on it. Kamala and Biden, however, are presenting as something that they're not just to get to a position where by the time we figure out what it really is, the swindle will be complete and it will be too late to change anything when it comes to the election. And we're not going to run a coup against them. We're, you know, that's, and they know that. We're not going to weaponize the DOJ. We're not going to have a few Trump-supporting FBI agent holdovers who concoct some scheme about how Biden is you know, being paid off to the tune of millions, billions of dollars from from China of assets delivered. No, that's his son. That's not Joe Biden. So we're not going to do that. And they know it. So all they have to do is get this over the finish line. Just just shove Biden into the uh, into the end zone. And then they'll figure out the rest. And we know what the rest is going to be a return to the Obamaism of I don't care what you think. I'm going to lie about what you actually want, and I'm just going to rub your face in it, and it's going to be my way. And whatever institutions I break down, whatever rules, regulations, principles, whatever ethical constraints that I just tear apart in my way, elections have consequences. That, my friends, will be the Biden-Harris ticket's real mantra. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Buck Kamala did a great job last night. She was really presidential. She kept it on focus. I was really proud of her. I'm looking forward to seeing her. This is one of the finest persons I've ever dealt with. 
This is a person who is ready on day one to be president of the United States of America. Kamala, one of the one of the finest people ever and ready on day one to be president. Joe says this stuff and he I, I guess he just doesn't realize that we're all going, oh, we know she's ready, Joe. She, and she is ready to take the role. I don't think she would do anything but a pretty awful job in the role, but she's ready for it for sure. For sure. That's true. Meaning that she's preparing. I mean, she's looking at that. I don't think she's looking at the Naval Observatory and the vice president's office all that much. I think she's thinking, what would it be like to sit in the big chair? Joe Biden will be, by the end of his second term, if he were to actually win this thing, 86 years old, friends. He's not going to finish. Okay, we all know it. We all know it. But, But Joe can't say that. He can't. He has to pretend otherwise. So we have, on the one hand, we have the media obsessed with finding out, oh, Trump, I heard him cough in an interview. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's got COVID. People get sick. That happens. Trump's health overall is very strong, has been very strong this whole presidency. There's there's never really been a concern. I should say an, an honest concern about Trump's physical capacity to do this. And when we're talking about Biden. It's not just people that are asking whether or not he's got early stage dementia or senility. It's, it's also just the physical toll of this. Being able to get up, have the energy and then the mental acuity to be able to handle the job. But no, no, don't worry. Pelosi still uh, still wants to talk about the 25th Amendment. But but it's, it's not about Trump. This is what I think is, is hilarious. Play 19. This is not about President Trump. He will face the judgment of the voters. But he, uh, he shows the need for us to create a process for future presidents. Throughout America's history, our leaders have created and strengthened guardrails in the Constitution to ensure stability and continuity of government in times of crisis. The 25th Amendment creates a path for preserving stability if a president suffers a crippling physical or mental problem and is, unquote, in the amendment, unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office and transfers his powers. I mean, what is she babbling on about? We all we all know what this is talking about the 25th Amendment, because that's just now that's a it, it's like the, the hamster hitting the pedal with Democrats to get the little pellet, you know, that. Oh, 25th Amendment, Trump. We're going to remove him. We're going to remove him. 25th Amendment. Oh, it's not about Trump. You mean going forward for four more years if he wins? Maybe Nancy should just refer to this as an insurance policy commission, because that's what it sounds like to me, almost like the FBI's insurance policy of. The crossfire hurricane investigation. But Pelosi wants you to know this is just she just wants she just wants to comfort the pe- the people. Play 21. So that we would like to have it in place. And, and it could be said for future presidencies. If the president wins this election, yes, it would apply to him. If he doesn't, it'll apply to the next president of the United States. But this isn't about anything to say. Um, we got to do something like this about the election. It's not about the election at all. And I thank the, uh, the distinguished gentleman from Maryland for this. This has been, we could have done this a while back, but the timing is for now because people want to know. We have to give some comfort to people that there is a way to do this. Very respectful of not making a judgment on the basis of a comment or behavior that we don't like, but based on a medical decision, again, with the full um, involvement of the vice president of the United States. Yeah, all a coincidence, she says. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
A plot in Michigan to kidnap and assassinate the governor has allegedly been foiled. Uh, It involved 13 people. Arrests have been made by the FBI. And uh, here's what we know about this. You have individuals who were hoping to uh, planning to arrest the uh, governor of Michigan, uh, Whitmer, while she was at her vacation home. And we're still finding out more information about this, but they're being hit with terrorism charges, attempted kidnapping charges. And some of the two of the individuals, at least, have been seen in photographs uh, opposing the lockdowns at the state capitol and there with uh, there with long guns. So now let's let's just dispense with what's obvious first, and then we'll get into some of the analysis. Uh, The right opposes political violence. The right does not believe in using coercion and when I say the right conservatives, I mean, the the actual movement, whether it's conservative media, the Republican Party, uh, we reject it. We condemn it. We anywhere we see it, think that it's a disgrace and should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. I never hear that from Democrats about Antifa and BLM riots, everything else. It's always well, it was mostly it was mostly peaceful. It was most or the uh, assassinations of police officers that occur. They don't they don't condemn the movement around it. They'll say it's just a one off. So so left wing left wing destruction, violence, terrorism is always some isolated incident, even when it happens every day for 90 days straight all summer long. Right. Left wing violence is always able to be minimized blocked off, excused, or at least, uh, let's say, explained away in some way. That's the, the rule. And then on the right, a bunch of wackos who have anything that they say that sounds like it might be conservative or if they're going after a Democrat target, that's indicative of the entire Republican Party. It's like, it's like the GOP put out a statement saying, this is what we want to happen, and then someone did it. That's the way the media treats it. It's, it's wildly dishonest, but that's what we are up against. And uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is, look, she's wrong with what she's doing. The state Supreme Court in Michigan has already said that. Uh, she has taken tyrannical powers into her hands. She's a lockdown lunatic. And what she's doing is very bad. And it's unlawful. But she is. And people say, oh, but Buck, the Michigan state constitution, oh, it's. It's a violation of constitutional rights, telling people they can't worship. uh, You know, there's no freedom of religion, telling people they, you know, the the Bill of Rights has been just dispensed with in so many places because of COVID-19 and all these Democrat strongholds. And one thing we need to do is just start suing. There needs to be a lot of lawsuits and the DOJ should be suing states too to get them to stop this. But in an election, I understand it turns into, oh, you don't care about people dying from COVID. That's what they'll say. It's a lie. It's gross, but that is what they will do. So now we have uh, this this plot got a lot of attention yesterday. It's going to continue to get uh, media coverage all throughout the weekend. Um, and prosecutors are saying that the, the the indictments here were of a uh, the group was going to do not just attack the governor and kill the governor if they could, but instigate a civil war leading to societal collapse. Societal collapse. I I want to return to this in a moment because does that sound does that sound conservative to you? Does that sound like something the G the GOP wants anarchy? Remember, 
The only thing we're going on so far is what the media tells us about the uh, ideological ties of this group. But can we trust the media's assessment of it? Just remember, I'm asking that question for right now. And and what is the uh, what is the immediate response of Gretchen Whitmer, the governor? You all know who she's going to blame for this, right? Is, is she going to blame the obviously deranged, uh, violent losers who were plotting to do her harm and everything else? And look, I can understand this is scary. And these guys, you know, we have to look at the, the details of the plot to see how far along they were and what degree of sophistication it seemed that they have uh, they had in mind to try to carry out such a plot. But it's, it's scary when, when lunatics say are, are conspiring to do you harm. All of us are vulnerable, even people that have security details, even people that have some resources to protect them. So I, I totally understand that part of it. But do you think Whitmer is blaming the people that are doing this or did she immediately? I mean, the day this broke in the news, did she take it as an opportunity to start attacking oh you guessed it donald trump right away that that was her her first move with all of this was to go after the president play 10 just last week the president of the united states stood before the american people and refused to condemn white supremacists and hate groups like these two michigan militia groups stand back and stand by he told them stand back and stand by hate groups heard the president's words not as a rebuke but as a rallying cry as a call to action when our leaders speak their words matter they carry weight when our leaders meet with encourage or fraternize with domestic terrorists they legitimize their actions and they are complicit when they stoke and contribute to hate speech they are complicit Trump is complicit. Trump was calling for actions like this, she says. Now, first off, she says that he said he told the uh, white nationalists or or militias or whatever, uh, stand back and stand by. No, he said that about the Proud Boys specifically. And as we've discussed on this show, the Proud Boys, plenty of things you could say about them, plenty of ways to criticize them, but they're not white nationalists. That's that's just not true. It's not true. They're not neo-Nazis. They're not white nationalists. It's kind of a drinking club for right wing guys who do like to get into fights with Antifa. That's that's what they are. And Proud Boys do not go out, out and threaten businesses or burn down people's homes or any of the stuff that we see from BLM all summer long, all the time, which is really amazing that we're here right now, aren't we? They had the viol- the, the the violence and the madness going on from May until October, and it's still happening. You, you still have incidents of this popping up. And, and I, I'm just going to tell you right now, they're not covering. Uh, they're not covering violence that just happened in Wisconsin, I think, in the outskirts of Milwaukee that went on. Um, they're not talking about that. They don't want people to realize that this is still happening. Wauwatosa in Wisconsin, there were businesses burned, looting happening. Just this week. How many of you even heard about that? Did you see a lot of news coverage of it? Why wasn't that a news story worthy of hearing about? We all know why. Very important that Democrats can continue this. It's on all sides uh, game. Political violence is something that everybody has to be concerned with from all sides of the political spectrum. No, it's not equivalent. It does exist on both sides, but it's not the same. It's been shown to us who 
wants to destroy businesses and coerce people and throw rocks at cops and engage in rioting, mayhem, arson, looting, and just wanton destruction and violence. This is the left-wing base that's doing this. It's not some fringe group. It's not some uh, group of, you know, 10 guys who are showing up somewhere and acting like a bunch of morons. This is thousands and thousands of people with the full support of the mainstream media covering for them, if not actively encouraging them, with corporate America demanding donations in the name of the movement that these domestic terrorists are, are saying that they represent. That's what's actually happening. But no, Whit- Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, wants you to know that the hate, the hate comes from the right. It's the right wing that is responsible for this hate. Play 11. So I, I can't discuss too many details because it's around my security. And of course, that's what's at issue here. We got to make sure that we stay safe. However, um, in, the, in the recent weeks, it was brought to my attention. Of course, we know every time that this White House identifies me or takes um, a shot at me, we see an increase in uh, rhetoric online, uh, violent rhetoric. And so there's always a connection. And certainly it's something that we've been watching, but this took it to a whole new level. Uh, so does that mean you're not allowed to be criticized for the governor of Michigan because uh, lunatics online are going to say hateful and even threatening things about you or to you? Has she ever talked to anybody who works in conservative media? We have people threatening us all the time. Constantly happens. You just ignore it for the most part. What else are you going to do? The Internet is a cesspool when it comes to politics. Everyone understands this. Unfortunately, the, the most pathetic, empty, shallow, angry, vain, nasty, and worthless people in the world now have a way of reaching out to anyone they want pretty much. And trying to get inside their head and be threatening and be frightening. And, and sometimes they even do act on it. But that's true for all of us. So what, what is this? That, that there's criticism from the White House of Governor Whitmer and then people say mean things online or, or threatening things online. So does that mean we're not allowed to criticize Governor Whitmer? I mean, take her claim to its logical conclusion. What, what does she want the White House to do? Condemn violence absolutely in, in its totality. I mean, you could even go... You could condemn the violence of a plot like this, the evil and the lawlessness of anybody who would think this, and also point out that now they've given these morons in Michigan, other than being a bunch of savage, uh, you know, lawless fools, uh, have also helped the Democrats out with this. So not only are they vile criminals, but they've given now a talking point to a, a governor that they hate. But... Are they actually conservatives? I haven't forgotten this. Are these people Trump supporters who were involved in this? Because the media wants you to believe yes. Well, there's a little problem with that. There's video that's been circulating of at least some of these individuals. When you hear their words, I think you may have some questions at least. I can't tell you we have conclusions, but some, some questions about what the politics, what the ideology is of these individuals. Remember, there was a guy who tried to kill a whole bunch of conservative members of Congress, actually shot at them. I mean, took action, was engaged in a mass assassination, and he was yelling, this is for health care. And he was a big Bernie Sanders supporter. Is Bernie Sanders responsible for that? Who's responsible? Is Barack Obama or Loretta Lynch or, you know, who from the Obama administration 
would be responsible for the assassinations of NYPD officers Ramos and Lou, the six Dallas police officers who were killed by a BLM supporter. Now the uh, the two individuals uh, from the sheriff's county uh, from the L.A. County Sheriff's Department who were shot in their car. The guy who shot them was a BLM supporter. I'm just wondering who is responsible for all that. Are, are we going to are we only going to tally it sometimes? Only 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 on occasions when it's useful to the left does political rhetoric translate into violence. And therefore, you must be silenced or else you're a part of the violence. Isn't that so convenient for them? But what do we really know about these plotters against Governor Whitmer? Let's look into it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The plot to kidnap and assassinate Governor Whitmer of Michigan in response to her lockdown orders. This is what we're focusing on right now. You got the FBI making these arrests. Okay, so she's already gone out there and and straight up blamed Trump. It's Trump's fault. She has said that herself. She didn't wait a moment. She went right out there. Press conference. This is because of Trump's rhetoric against me. And oh, there's all this all this online hate and all this stuff. And here is one of the ringleaders of this 13 individual uh, group that was arrested in connection to this plot. Here's Brandon Caserta. These are videos that they were posting online. And I just want you to hear because we're we're being told now that these are effectively Trump supporters, right wingers, militia right wing guys that were going to kidnap and assassinate a Democrat president. To cause a civil war and the breakdown of all of America into anarchy, that that word anarchy, doesn't that sound like something else? Does that really sound like a conservative idea or point of view at all or, or, or having any connection to it whatsoever? Here's what one of the ringleaders said about his view of the world. Play six. Donald Trump is not your friend, dude. And it's it amazes me that people actually like believe that when he's shown over and over and over again that he's a tyrant every single person that works for government is your enemy dude so here you have a ringleader of a plot that the media is working very hard to make the entire country think is a is basically a maga hat wearing trump lover who is trying to get rid of him to assassinate a democrat governor who's become a vocal critic of the president and he's He put out videos long before this arrest or any of this was known, saying that Trump is not your friend, a tyrant and an enemy. Is is that meaningful to anybody? I just want to. Is that meaningful to anybody out there who's trying to analyze this? Does it does it make a difference? You would think that if if one was, say, a national security analyst on TV and you're talking about motivations, you know, remember, during the Obama administration, we were getting hit with these horrible jihadist terrorist attacks because of ISIS. ISIS inspired terrorism was was a real problem that we had to be aware of and on guard against. People died. Many people died because of these attacks. And they would always do the we may never know the real motives. And we had people who were calling in. This is real. We had people calling in terrorists on the phone. I'm doing this for ISIS. This is for jihad. This is for Islam. And then the media would say and some people in the FBI, too, would play along with it. Oh, well, um, really not sure about what the motive is. Remember the Pulse nightclub shooting? Horrific shooting horrific and that guy was calling in saying yeah this is for allah this is for jihad i'm doing this on behalf of isis or i swear allegiance to isis or whatever or al-qaeda i don't even remember now and then the fbi redacted in the transcript that was released 
redacted it. I pledge allegiance to, and it was redacted. You remember this? Is, they did this under the Obama administration. People said, why would they do it? Because they're trying to appeal to the Obama administration sensibility, which was that the Islamic State wasn't Islamic. That's what Obama was telling us. Remember that? But you can always turn to some of the dumbest people on TV to carry the water for Democrats, no matter what the facts actually suggest. Here's Frank Figliuzzi, former assistant director of the FBI, with one of the dumbest things I have ever heard in my life, but he gets paid to say them. Play five. If this were virtually anyone else, Joy, their name would be added to the subject line of the investigation. They would be looked at for instigating violence, for aiding and abetting, for conspiring. There would be a serious sit down at the very least, and they'd be shown the dots that are connected between their rhetoric, their encouragement and actual acting out violently. This is the president of the United States. We have an attorney general who is keep, who keeps pointing to the far left and trying to draw some kind of equivalency between extreme organized violence on the right and violent protest on the left. That equivalency isn't there. We've got a vice president, Joy, who in his debate with Kamala Harris, when asked what his role would be if the president refused to step down after a certified election, refused to answer the question. That gets received by violent extremist groups as a wink and a nod. It's okay to act out if we don't get our way in the election. This guy's a lunatic. He was assistant director of the FBI under the Obama administration. This guy's a complete maniac. What What is... Trump should be an unindicted co-conspirator. That's what he's calling him, an unindicted co-conspirator for the, the plot to kidnap Gretchen Wimber. No, psycho libs who watch MSNBC hear people like this guy and say, he was in the FBI, he must be smart, and they believe this nonsense. It's appalling. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Has not been a good time for the FBI. Theo, you asked for a miracle. I gave you the FBI. Has not been good. Not been good. Um, I'm, I don't know what else to say other than it'd be very hard to be an American who is in tune with what's happening, who's been paying attention and not feel like uh, the FBI has really betrayed the trust of millions and millions of Americans with the decisions that have been made at the top level. Again, it's not about the rank and file. It's never rank and file. People showing up to do a job. This is about the managers. This is about the executive suite. This is about the Comey's and the McCabe's and the Strucks and the pages, right? It's not about the FBI agent who's making sure elder fraud doesn't happen in Omaha or the FBI agent who's making sure that, you know, people in, uh, in, in Tampa aren't, subject to cartel hitmen or something in their neighborhood. I mean, you know, the FBI does a lot of really good stuff. I'm talking about the top level of political level. They've got maniacs walking around. I mean, this guy, Figliuzzi, that was a senior FBI person. Look at what Brennan has said, the CIA, former CIA director. He's written a book, of course, now. Uh, the, title is, the title is trash. He's such a mediocrity, really. Um, but I, I'm telling you all this because also reporting today, not going to be a... Durham report before the election. Sorry, not happening. Word from the DOJ. Not going to be a report before the election. Does anybody have any confidence that there's going to be a really get to the truth, big bombshell report after the election? If Biden wins, you think that anybody at the DOJ or anyone anywhere in the federal government apparatus or even in private life for that matter? Let, let me ask you this, friends. Would you want to be the investor? I mean, some of you'd be like, yeah, Buck, bring it. But, I, you know, OK. Some of you are 
fearless patriots, and I get that, or all of you are fearless patriots, but you know what I mean. Some of you don't care if the government tries to ruin your life or not. But really think about it. Wouldn't it be a little bit stressful to be the person who, in an incoming Biden administration, you're like, here's my report that says that the Democrats ran Hillary Oppo research through the FBI and this and the CIA and the media for effectively a soft coup against the Trump administration. Here's the report. It's all true. They lied, cheated, they stole, and it's real. And here you go. Do any of you think that, you know, we, the Republicans, were always, oh, we'll let something go. We don't want to look back. But do any of you think that they would let that go in, in the other direction? Do any of you think that that would be something that wouldn't have severe consequences for that individual, right? We, all, we know how they play the game. We know how they do things. Oh, all of a sudden it'd be, you know, hey, here you might have some tax problems coming your way, courtesy of the uh, newly beefed up enforcement arm of the Biden-Harris IRS. And that's just the beginning of your problems. Oh, yes. Do a little ethical investigation of you for, uh, for within the DOJ, for abuse of office, whatever. Just they'll ruin people. They will ruin people. So I'm telling you right now, what have I been saying all along about the Durham probe? I know there's all this stuff about how he's a dogged prosecutor and he gets his man and he's fair, but, but you know, believes in justice and all this stuff. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Other people I know, they want, oh, they wanted more listeners or they wanted more downloads or whatever. Oh, yeah, I need the Durham probe. You know, it's just, you know, look, take out your watch any second now. It's going to happen. We're going to get those answers. And I kept saying to you, don't expect anyone to go to prison and don't expect anything big from this. And you have been listening to me know this. See, I like to be right. I like to tell you what I what I believe will be true. And I like that I'm usually correct in that. Other people like to just whatever is, gets the maximum excitement for the day. Now, this isn't just me complaining about uh, some of my uh, you know, fellow media folks, although that sometimes is a little bit of a necessary, a little necessary catharsis. Uh, the the more important part of this is that I think that it got people it got our hopes up that there was going to be something that would happen from our side. That would be the equivalent of an October surprise, although a very legitimate October surprise. Um, that's not going to happen. It's not going to not, not with Durham, at least. That's not going to be the reality. And so I, I'm annoyed because I feel like there was a lot of energy put into this and a lot of time spent thinking about this that isn't going to amount to anything. It's going to be a whole whole bunch of nothing burger for all of us to chew on and spit out. That's what we're going to have here. I know I don't like the term nothing burger very much either, but I wanted to use it there. So the FBI Figliuzzi, that guy, that soundbite we played for you before. Amazing, isn't it? Trump is an unindicted co-conspirator, co-conspirator in the uh, kidnapping and murder plot of the governor of Michigan. This is what Democrats on TV from uh, uh, supposedly revered institutions of law enforcement say about the sitting president of the United States. And then they turn around and complain that, oh, my gosh, there was mansplaining from Pence. Where was all? Why was there so much mansplaining? You guys are saying the president's like a psycho murderer. The actual president. Oh, but there was mansplaining. It's terrible. Anything to just add to the or orange man bad case. That, that is the case for Harris and Biden's election. Orange man bad. That's it. There's nothing else, really. I mean, yeah, if you're a Democrat, if you're a leftist, they're going to enact your policies. But there's nothing compelling about these two. 
just Trump is awful. Trump is evil. And that's that's the end of it. That's the whole that's the whole thing. Yeah. This show is like a whole lot of mansplaining, I guess, isn't it? Buck splaining. We used to do buck slaps. We should bring that. Producer Mark, we bring back buck slaps. I'd have to find the uh, soundbite. Okay, but we could also make a, a cool new one. Remember, it can't just be a little slap like a whoosh. It has to be, you know, hi like a big slap. Because that's how the buck slap is a big slap. Right. Well, you know, when we moved abruptly, I didn't have time to pack up all the stuff. So That's true. When it was like all hands on deck to get the heck out because there was a pandemic that we'd really... I mean, people forget this. In the early days of the pandemic, we thought every, the, the initial reporting was that there was going to be a 3 to 5% fatality rate, which would have been... And it would have been pandemonium. It would have been like one of these movies you see. Um, what's the Brad Pitt zombie movie where they're all fleeing? Or, you know, there's a bunch. Of, I Am Legend, they have some scenes like this, too. But people would have fled the cities. It would have been a total disaster. Fortunately, it was nowhere near as bad as it was in the early days. But anyway, we'll, we'll try to bring back a, a buck slap because uh, that's a fun one to do. And, and you just I, I also have to note that the somehow the worst analysts on TV in recent years have been the national security ones. I mean, the economists, no one really takes seriously because they're telling you stuff you already know, or they're telling you stuff that's not correct usually, or making predictions that won't be true or telling you stuff you already know. And that's every time someone goes, Oh, the economy, I think, you know, uh, the economy could go up, it could go down. You know, I mean, we see could the market could go up, but you know, stocks could also take a dive here. Thanks guys. Wow. What, what a guru. This is amazing. It's a lot of that, but on the national security side, what you have is the weaponization of national security expertise for partisan ends. Now, people could claim that I'm I'm a part of this, too. But here's the difference. I don't pretend to be a neutral national security analyst. I don't walk around saying, oh, I'm just I'm just a guy from my CIA time who's looking at this totally neutral, just telling you what's going on. No, you ha- you use that credential as part of your resume for how you can bash the other side is effectively what it's turned into. And the, the Democrat national security people are just they're morons. I mean, they are out of their minds. They're really bad. They generally don't know very much, which is also which is also troubling. But the ones you see on TV are the ones that are the most politically useful. Um, the ones who, you know, anyway, it's uh, it's a pet peeve of mine. You could say Cuomo also Governor Cuomo is back, everybody. I'm going to lock down New York City. I'm going to lock it down. I'm going to lock it down for your own good. Why am I going to lock it down? Because people are not obeying the rules and regulations I have set out for you. Why won't you obey the rules and regulations? I want to keep you safe by stuffing a cloth mask deep into your throat and making sure that you can barely breathe or enjoy your day. Why do I want to do that? Because if you, you know, you get the idea, Cuomo is also out there saying that the uh, the Whitmer plot is Trump's fault. You guessed it. Play 24. The political interference with this ultra orthodox community that we have on our clusters. Uh, uh, I believe and I have evidence that the Trump campaign is fueling uh, their opposition and their divisive uh, divisiveness. Uh, The president has always done this, right? Divide and conquer is his strategy. And it's corrosive. Uh, It's uh, detrimental to everything we're about. Uh, But it's 
what he has done from the beginning. So, yes, I believe he's behind it. I believe his campaign stokes it. I don't think there's any question. That was in response to a question about the plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer, folks. He's behind it. He stokes it. It's his fault. Yeah, that's what we're up against. Since we're talking about Cuomo and fault, let's discuss what he's doing in New York, because, friends, you know, I see this stuff coming. I think the Cuomo approach for a lot of you, certainly folks live in California, live in Austin, live in Denver, live in San Diego, live in, uh, you know, and our our beloved Team Buck Blue State audience. This is coming for you, too. Here's what Cuomo's got in store for you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. $15,000 fines going into effect in New York City. $15,000 fines for violations of social distancing uh, protocols. Right? Not allowed to have these, these group gatherings anymore. Now, this is really all focused around right now a few they're calling them uh, hot spots they were going to have zip code by zip code but now it's just just areas on a map and the areas are generally thought to be overlapping with or largely you know the uh correlation is very strong with the orthodox jewish community specifically the hasidic community of uh brooklyn and queens and so this has become a big religious issue, in fact, there or religious freedom issue. And there were protests earlier in the week where you had um, Hasidim who had gathered together. Producer Mark, is that the correct plural? I believe so. Hasidim, right? Yeah. Uh, the uh, you had them gathering together and just basically saying, we're not you know, we're not playing by these rules anymore. We're going to start having religious services again. This is crazy. And sure enough, the NYPD was there and they didn't make arrests, but they, they're threatening now to sue them. Cuomo was out there saying, you know, look, this is these are the rules. You got to listen to the rules. Play 23. The cluster is a predominantly ultra orthodox cluster. Uh, the Catholic schools uh, are closed because they happen to be in that cluster. Um, but the the issue is with that ultra-Orthodox community. Uh, This is not a matter of religious freedom, right? I don't care if you're uh, Roman Catholic, you're Jewish, you're uh, Muslim, you're an atheist. Uh, You have to follow the rules of the state, the laws of the state. Um, And I understand the beliefs of the ultra-Orthodox. I've been very close to them all my life. Uh, I'm a big supporter of theirs. But they have to follow the rules, Jim, because uh, we're seeing... The truth and the truth is, yep. if you don't follow the rules, the infection rate spreads, people get mm-hmm. sick and then you make others sick. Yep. You know, we're talking about Brooklyn. We're not talking about a hermetically sealed community uh, in, in, in a rural area. This is in the middle of Brooklyn. They will yep. make other people sick. OK, here's the issue that I have. I mean, I have many issues with Cuomo, but notice how he says, that, you know, you have to obey the law. You have to obey the rules of the state. We are in an extended emergency powers declaration for Governor Cuomo. He can do whatever. He can shut down whatever businesses he wants. He can do whatever he wants to do, basically. But there's a problem with that because we also have a constitution. We have a federal government. We have the supremacy of the constitution and the federally guaranteed rights for every American in every state. They can't have an indefinite shutdown on your right to peaceably assemble. 
an indefinite shutdown on your right to practice your religion. That is what is going on here. And what are they holding this up against? What is the metric they're using? A zero risk tolerance? We don't have that for so many things in life. Why would we have this all of a sudden? Not all of a sudden. We've had it for many months. But why would we continue to accept this with regard to these COVID lockdowns? COVID lockdowns that have not worked. You know, Europe now has more cases than America per capita. That's right. European countries spiking. I guess Trump didn't uh, didn't tell them that it was necessary to wear a mask in time or or I, I guess that maybe they're all Trump supporters. And so they have a problem with masking up because it's a patriotic thing to do. Hmm. Or maybe that we've forgotten this thing spreads just like the common cold, just like the common cold in the air. Have we ever thought we'd be able to just not ever get colds anymore with, you know, basic sanitary procedures? No one's ever really thought that. But we believe that we can completely shut this down with 100 percent compliance from people that involves not interacting with other human beings and not being able to breathe air normally. Okay, sounds like a really bad idea to me. It doesn't sound very, uh, very sciencey to me, but that's what we're told. Fifteen thousand dollar fine. You know, there's also uh, now data. We've had two months. He mentioned schools and they're shutting down schools in those cluster areas. But a lot of cities never open schools. They're all doing this virtual learning thing. And first of all, that doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. It's a disaster. It's actually the biggest drawback for minority and underprivileged and, and low income family children. They're the ones hurt the most by this. They're the ones that statistically are going to have the great going to suffer the most in terms of their development, falling behind. But we were told that it was because schools were going to be so dangerous for this. Well, some places have had schools open for two months and colleges in some areas of the country have been open for two months in person. And you know what? The people who were saying, and I think it's worth stepping back and, and revisiting this for a second there in August was a whole panic to keep the schools closed in advance of the election. This was very politically driven in my mind, although there were people who were just freaked out. But this was politically driven because they understood if schools are closed, it drags down the economy. It also makes people perceive the country as in a bad place and sick. Now we have the numbers and without question. Schools are safe to be open. Colleges are safe to be open. Anybody who's in a high risk category should be allowed to stay adults, not children. Children are fine. It is safe. It's not perfectly safe, but school's never been perfectly safe. Children die from the flu every year. More children this year in America have died from the flu than from covid. That's a fact. So why are the schools closed? Nobody even thinks to ask anymore. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think I have our answer. We all know what the answer is to why schools have been locked down up to this point in so many places. Yes, I understand there's some fear, but the fear has been irrational and it has been stoked on purpose by a lot of people who do know better but view this is an opportunity for political benefit. Keep people very frightened and you can get them to do whatever you want. Uh, but occasionally you'll have a lib and I'm not pretending this is a uh, we're going to be citing a lib here who is of high intellectual or more ethical character and that anyone particularly listens to. But you'll have a lib with a platform who will say the quiet part out loud, who will just tell everybody what we kind of know is going on. But everyone else is smart enough not to say. And I bring you Hanoi Jane. Jane Fonda. Here she is telling you all 
what the left really thinks about this COVID moment in time. Play 25. We can stop fascism. We are at a point where we can. This is a crossroads. It's an existential crossroads. And and we are people who can help determine which way humanity goes. What a great gift. What a tremendous opportunity. We're just so lucky. We have to use it with every ounce of intelligence and courage uh, and wherewithal we have. Because you're absolutely right. This is it. This is it. And, um, you know, I just think um, COVID is God's gift to the left. <laughs> Quote. COVID is God's gift to the left, end quote. It's not God's gift, but that's a whole other conversation. It's coming from somebody else. But yes, indeed, this is a crisis, and they are trying to leverage the crisis in every way they can to pursue things that really have nothing to do with it, but that they know they can get away with because people are frightened. People want someone. They want to believe that there's someone out there who can protect them and uh, they also will shout down their opponents and people like me who have been from the very beginning. Just I, I have been asking questions about COVID. I was very concerned about it in the first couple of months and I remain concerned about it, but I haven't been living in fear of it. I have traveled on airplanes. I've gone to states that were considered high risk. I lived in the highest risk state for the for the worst spread of the disease and was a subway rider for most of the most of the period before the lockdown when it was just this virus was bouncing all over the place. But if you're look, if you're under if you're under 65, this is not something to be afraid of at all, at all. If you're over 65, it's something to take precautions against and be aware of the same way you do with seasonal flu. Now, this is worse if you're over 65 than seasonal flu, but it's very similar in terms of the precautions. And it's also similar in terms of the mindset that people should adopt, which is you do what you can. You can't you can't let it dominate your life. What the president said is absolutely true. You know, do not live in fear but i don't know the left the left wants you very much to live in fear that is absolutely their plan and uh they think that that is something they can leverage i want to switch gears to tell you about this uh, story that has gotten a lot of attention in uh, the last uh last 12 hours or so and it's it's from yelp so we all know yelp and yelp is generally speaking um you know, Yelp is generally speaking a place where you go to see either people who tell you that a, a restaurant is fantastic or, oh, my gosh, it's the worst restaurant I've ever been to in my life. And the waitress was like so rude and like spat in my food. And, right. It's usually one or the other. Yelp, Yelp, I find it's, you know, five stars or one star. And I love the one star people that are if I could give the zero stars, I would. I'm like, OK, well, you can't. But it's always five stars or one star from a lot of people. Not everybody, but a lot of people. Um, I do remember years ago, I wrote a Yelp review for a for a when I was in the CIA. Actually, I wrote a Yelp review uh, for a motel that I stayed in in California that that advertised itself as, you know, a beach resort. And it, it was it had all these beautiful photos. Be, and it was a motel. I mean, it was depressing and awful. And it was a bad motel. They're nice motels. This is a bad motel. And I, I described how it reminded me of the motel where Tony Montana watches his best friend sawn in half by a chainsaw in the movie Scarface. And I went into some detail. And apparently this review like did really well. And a lot of people thought it was kind of a, I, I got into it. I was I was angry at this place because they also 
they they tried to charge me for days I don't want to stay there. Anyway, the usual like nonsense and uh, you know the usual sort of scams going on. But I got an email from somebody who was like, you know, I didn't stay there, and then I went past it to see it and stayed somewhere else. And I just want to thank you so much. You know, you, you saved my wife and and my vacation because. We were going to stay at this place. And then he, so Yelp reviews can actually have real impact. Yelp reviews can be a thing that people do pay attention to, especially if you uh, make some movie references in there and, and you say something that's just a, li- a little bit funny. Um, that, that, always, that helps, I find. That helps. But Yelp has a new policy out there now. This is their thread. This is just from uh, yesterday. Today we're announcing a new consumer alert to stand against racism. In the last few months, we've seen that there is a clear need to warn consumers about businesses associated with egregious, racially charged actions to help people make more informed spending decisions. Communities have always turned to Yelp in reaction to current events, and our user operations team already places alerts on business pages when we notice an unusual uptick in reviews that are based on what someone may have seen in the news rather than on firsthand experience. Now, when a business gains attention for reports of racist conduct, Yelp will place a new business accused of racist behavior alert on their Yelp page to inform users along with a link to a news article where they can learn more. So now Yelp is going to put the mark of of alleged racism, business accused of racist behavior alert, a barba. B-A-R-B-A on any business that they think deserves this. Now, uh, do you think that this is going to be used judiciously by the public? I mean, does anybody really think that if somebody who owns a local highly regarded sandwich shop is uh, in a, you know, shows up at a at a Trump rally or ends up at a town hall asking Trump a question that that guy is not going to have a million people all of a sudden? writing uh, about how he's a racist and making up stories about how, you know, he said he said he wouldn't he wouldn't give me a sandwich because he just has hated, you know, the Inuit his whole life. And I'm in, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, whatever race, whatever, you know, oh he wouldn't do it. And just making stuff up, making stuff up. I mean, maybe we can have these businesses walk over hot coals or tie them up, throw them in a lake, see if they float. And if the business doesn't confess its racism, then we'll know it's innocent of the alleged racist conduct. Just like the witch trials, folks. Just like the witch trials. That's what they're going to do now. Um, We need to be very careful about what's going to happen here in society. Because the same mentality that the left has really expanded on and unfortunately honed and weaponized of using uh, politics as as a weapon in the private sector against people. They're going to start to do this against just random individuals. You see that there's a trend. It's if you are uh, videoed in an exchange with somebody and maybe the whole story hasn't been told or something. But, you know, you you are shown and and somebody alleges that you are racist, even if you're in, let's say, a dispute with someone over a parking spot. And all it shows is you saying, hey, why you ran my car? You know, this is that's crazy. I got to the parking spot first. And if the person tags, you know, racist white guy in parking spot, you're going to get a huge amount of hits. Your, your life will be ruined, right? Your life will be ruined. We've already seen that happen. Now, any business 
any business that is owned by somebody or frequented by people who are associated with Trump, for example, will be targeted for this. And we all know that. People forget now because it's gotten so much worse. The insanity of the left that was on display, particularly in the Kavanaugh era of 2018, that summer, where remember uh, the White House press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, was uh, chased out of a restaurant by the owner and other people. I think the uh, ICE director, Kirsten Nielsen, it's a fun name to say. uh, There are a whole bunch of folks who were in restaurants, were in public accommodations, but because of their politics, the mob either showed up and chased them away or the people who run the place said, you're not welcome here. And this only happens to conservatives, to Trump supporters from libs. It doesn't go in the other direction. It doesn't go in the other direction. That's what we're going to see get much worse here. And this could put people out of business. Now you can't even be a small business owner who puts a MAGA poster up in your window without thinking, okay, I'm now going to be targeted. And it's one thing to say, oh, their sandwiches suck. I hate this place or whatever it may be. It's another thing to to get a place flagged for racist conduct. Now, I know Yelp's going to say, oh, we have all this. We have all these layers of review. Oh, you mean like Facebook does to make sure that they're not actually pulling down legitimate conservative speech. They're just pulling down stuff that's hateful. Oh, what qualifies as hateful again? Enforcing immigration law. That's federal law. That's hateful. According to some of our tech titans, the tech oligarchs who are allowed to run our lives for us now. And people just say, I just want it to be convenient and free. I don't care that. I'm not free. This is what we're going to see happening. You know, China has this social credit system where they track uh, they track all of your behavior and statements and everything online. And then decisions will be made about you and what kind of access to different jobs you'll have. And I think they even use it on on dating sites. You imagine Uh, so many people. There are all these articles written about how there was a huge surge in the last couple of years of people that say swipe left. If you're a Trump supporter, Trump supporters usually don't, you know, don't, don't take that attitude. I mean, you don't want to date a psycho lib because you're going to be miserable, but uh, this is what you're going to see though. The expansion using social media and all this tech algorithms and everything else of targeting down micro targeting based on politics And the most effective way to really hurt somebody and ruin somebody is to get them officially get their business officially branded as racist. And we we, do you think you can trust Yelp? I mean, Spotify, another big digital company, has a little. By the way, the worst people and I I talk to people that that I'm on the down low in contact with at CNN, they say it's actually not the the well-paid upper management level that's really quite so woke it's the 25 year olds it's the recent college grads who come in who think they're on some mission of wokeness and are just drunk with power and make demands of the institution and especially if they happen to be in a protected category no one's going to say no to them right so spotify is now claiming that joe rogan is racist uh, anti-trans. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that they're saying about Joe Rogan. Not not the company, but people within Spotify. Joe Rogan? The, the Bernie Sanders supporter? The guy who has the biggest podcast in the world because he asks earnest questions and is just generally likable? He's considered anti-trans. I mean, this is where we are, though. This is what happens. So with that same mentality and that same kind of culture, you think that the staff at Yelp is going to be 
fair-minded about who gets branded as a alleged racist business? We can all see, we can all see this coming. We all know exactly what's going on here. And it just just keeps getting more restrictive. The room for freedom gets smaller and smaller. And the people that keep constricting us, the people that keep refusing to allow us to make our own choices and decisions and live with some degree of let people be, just let, just let people do their thing and stop trying to ram your ideology rooted in ignorance, insecurity, and uh, a lack of purpose down everyone's throats all the time. They're not going to stop until we stop them. That means they have to lose in these ideological battles, which also brings me back to pass the Trump over the next few weeks. OK, make sure that we win this election. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You want to find collusion in the Trump years. Here is the real collusion between Fox and Trump. Hannity and Trump are personal friends. They talk about their families. They talk about their lives, their grievances. Uh, but they also exchange talking points and themes and ideas for future shows. Um, and in the case of Hannity, he's also pushing for Trump to hire certain people or fire certain people. This is a back and forth relationship that turns Hannity, a television host, really an entertainer, into a shadow chief of staff. And, and I argue in hoax, you can't understand the Trump years and you certainly can't get beyond the Trump years without understanding Fox's role. Because it's really Fox that sets the agenda for Trump. It's Hannity that sets the agenda for Trump. Yeah, there's Brian Stelter who's just telling you about how he's beating up on Fox News because it's one channel. They can't allow they can't allow a pro-Trump viewpoint to exist on one news channel. Not allowed. Half the country likes Trump. He won the last election. Hopefully he'll win this election. All the channels have to be psychotically anti-Trump all the time, or else the libs lose their bearings and freak out. And that's what you have here from Brian Stelter. Look, I, I know the, the, the most annoying thing that we have to deal with in, in the fight against fake news is their belief that they're not fake news because it's so obvious. It's so obvious that they are biased, that they are not playing the game the way that they say they are, but they're never going to change their tune on that, as we know. And that brings me then to the next debate, which maybe isn't going to happen. I wonder if there'll be some change even over the next few days on this one. Remember, Trump had said that he would not do a virtual debate. Biden said he will only do a virtual debate. Looks like that means there's not going to be a debate. But if there was a debate, there was uh, an interesting development today on this one. And none of this is surprising. This guy's Scully. I've never heard of this dude before. Why do these... Why do these completely interchangeable journos that have done nothing impressive ever in their careers end up being these debate moderators? Who, who the hell are these people? Who cares? It's amazing. And people sneer in the journalistic establishment. I mentioned Joe Rogan before at Joe Rogan uh, moderating a debate or I would love to see uh, the stool. What's the stool president's real name, Mark? Uh, Barstool sports guy. Uh, I think you're talking about Kevin Clint. No, no. Stool Presidente. I don't remember off the top of my head his name. You know who I'm talking about. I know. Oh, Portnoy. David Portnoy. Yes, thank you. David Portnoy. You know, have him moderate. That'd be great. Have him moderate a debate. That'd be fantastic. But no, let's have... Oh, oh gosh. I just I, I just spent, you know, five years at NPR and then fi five years at C-SPAN and then four more years at, at NPR and then two more years at C-SPAN 2. What? And these people? Why? Who comes up with this? But this guy, uh, Scully... 
tweeted out a DM that he sent to the mooch, Anthony Scaramucci. Should I respond to Trump? And this guy worked for Biden at one point. I think he was an intern for him, this guy Scully, which is not hard because obviously Biden's been in politics for 100 years. And we're supposed to believe that this guy is uh, on, the, on the up and up, that he's honest. Look, Scully's account now, he's saying it was hacked. It wasn't hacked. That's just a talking point meant to distract from this until nobody remembers in a day or two what happened here. He might as well deflect with, he's asking the FBI to investigate. Look, the journos, folks, the elite journos, as we go into these last few weeks here where there may be some debates, maybe not, just remember, they are deeply contemptuous of the intelligence of the American people. Contemptuous of it. They think everyone else is kind of dumb. And that they can just get away with all this stuff. They will sometimes, but at least on this one, I think we all know. Oh, yeah, he was hacked. And then the guy DM to the mooch and said, should I respond to Trump? That was the that was what the hackers did. Please give me a break. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck. It's time for Roll Call. Producer Mark. Everybody's working for the weekend, Producer Mark. What are you working for? Also the weekend. Right, but what are you going to do over the weekend? I I don't think much this weekend. Last weekend uh, we did a lot, so uh, I'm not used to doing stuff anymore. So I guess this weekend uh, I just have to relax. I had a thought yesterday. Do you feel like when we have to actually start going to weddings and parties and things like that again, that we're going to be a little socially awkward? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's going to be weird to like it's be weird dance to be around and these talk people. to people. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like for the next 10 years, if anyone coughs near you, everyone's going to go, <gasps> you know, it's like people uh, cough. I always did colds. that when people coughed near me. And yeah. Only when they don't cover yeah. their mouths. People are disgusting. Cover your mouth. That's a fair point. Uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to email us on Instagram, send us the, send us the love on the gram. Uh, you can do that with uh, Buck Sexton. Just find Buck Sexton. Please follow me if you're not already on Instagram. We're doing more and more stuff there. And let's get to it. Uh, Cassidy. Hey. Hi. I started listening to your podcast radio show about four weeks ago. First off, you are hilarious. I've never laughed so hard at a political show before. It's the best. Thank you for brightening my day at work. Even if the topic sucks, you've got a way of making it funny in a way. Well, thank you, Cassidy. I'll take it. I like it. You know, so there we go. I got to guys. I got to keep it interesting. Otherwise, producer Mark, I don't want to hear him snoring or falling asleep during the show while we're taping. So I got to make sure that oh, that's why I turned my mic off. Right. So we got to make sure that, uh, you know, if, if producer Mark is engaged, when I get a producer Mark chuckle, which happens sometimes, then I know I've struck gold. So that's always good. That's always good. I actually um, did laugh at the Cuomo impression before. Oh, thank huh. you. Huh. There we go. See, it's pretty good, actually. I've been working on it a little bit. It, it is. But when you ask yourself questions in Cuomo mode, that gets me every time. Yeah. He likes to do that. He really, he really thinks that if he poses it in a certain way, the dumb things that he says, uh, as long as he assumes we're all dumb, too, it's, it's like it's fine. I can't really explain it better than that. Um, the other thing that Mark and I do is when we come up with a show title for the day for the podcast, we have many, many great titles that unfortunately are not FCC compliant. So <laughs> that's the problem. Well, they might be FCC compliant, but uh, 
we shouldn't use them. Let's just put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Our some of our best titles. I wish we could keep a cutting room floor list of the titles we wanted to use, but anyway, still, still to this day, my favorite was Chick Fil A gets plucked. But we've done some. We've done some good ones. Uh John. Hey, Bucket producer Mark. Love the show. I listen every day on Freedom ninety three seven in Denver. Well, John, let me give a shout out to Freedom 93.7 in the Denver area, because I believe we are the number one talk radio show in Denver in our time slot across all stations, uh, period, which is awesome. So we are so pleased and it really means a lot that that has and that's happened very rapidly. That's just been the last year or so we've grown. We have the biggest talk radio audience uh, from our from our time slot there in the evening in Denver. John writes, I passed the buck to my friends and family and encouraged them to pass the buck as well. Thank you so much, John. I was listening to the show Tuesday and almost crashed my car. Well, safety first, John. When you played the clip of Joe Biden saying that psychiatrists or psychologists would go on calls with the police. While saying it's the stupidest thing I've heard may be a stretch, I wanted to write in to give anyone outside law enforcement and mental health some perspective. I am the practice manager for a fairly large mental health clinic in Denver, owned by several psychiatrists, real doctors. Our standard operating procedure when a client becomes loud, violent, abusive, or otherwise disorderly in our offices is to call the police. No one, including our doctors, are trained to handle a potentially violent person in our facility. Hospitals in major cities where they have staff, social workers, psychologists, and psychiatrists have police assigned to handle emotionally disturbed people in the ERs. So how do you think these patients are restrained and eventually put in the psychiatric ward? Shields high. John, thank you so much for writing in. Great point. Really important. Uh, there's a reason why, especially in hospitals that have psych wards, you know, there are these orderlies, I believe they're called, who are, tend to be large, robust gentlemen who sometimes even have, uh, I think in some places they'll even have a, um, they'll carry restraints on them. So they'll have like a other uh, flex cuffs or something like that if they need to. Uh, yeah, and there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why there are cops in hospitals. And yeah, if somebody is really having an episode, I, I see the problem is a lot of people watch, especially idiot libs who don't know how the real world, a uh, real world works. will watch these shows where they'll have like a, 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 you know, a really stunningly beautiful, but still looks a little bit like she could, you know, be rough and tumble 130 pound woman who knows how to talk down the bad guys off the ledge. And then the moment the bad guy decides, you know, I'm actually going to jump anyway, or I'm going to bring people with me and I'm a bomber or whatever it is. Right. Then she goes, hi, and does karate. And then it's like, this is supposed to be the way law enforcement works. It's not the way law enforcement works. People who are really having a, a, a breakdown episode that involves the police being called. I'm not talking about, you know, vast majority of people having psychological issues or episodes are completely harmless. And, can happen to anybody but when someone's called when the police are called because of a psych episode we call it an edp an emotionally disturbed person uh it's gonna be dangerous i've talked to cops who have had to deal with this and you know you don't know what you're dealing with when you first get there and i think another thing people don't understand is how hard it is restraining a person uh is a very difficult thing to do you know, we, we see a lot of things in the movies where the guys just go, they, you know, the cop will grab somebody, throw them on the roof of the car. And the guy's like, hey, man, like, I didn't do anything. And the cop's like, yeah, you did. And it's like, you know, dun, dun. And it's the cop show. Uh, actually, it's not that easy. 
It's not easy to throw somebody in the roof of the car, hold them there, put the cuffs on. Uh, you know, I'm six feet tall, 200 pounds, and a guy trying to hold me down to put cuffs on me is going to have his hands full and then some if I don't want to go. 200? I'm giving my pre-COVID weight, you jerk. <laughs> he still laughs about calling me Fat Thor. Yeah, pre-COVID weight. I've been going to the gym lately, I will have. You know, producer Mark and I were both actually going to get healthy together, and then COVID hit, and then we just started comparing notes about the best ice cream flavors. <laughs> it really didn't. That is exactly what happened. Yes. It is totally what happened. I'm like, oh, dude, I found this rocky road. It's so good. Oh, man. What is, what is now? Now I can't get my mind off this. What is your the, is there a sweet treat that you're just like, I got to have it? Like what's anything? What's the, yeah, anything. Oh, like I'm tough. talking cannoli. I'm talking, you know, German chocolate sheet cake, uh, whatever. Right. What's the what's it might the be either a really good brownie like, you know, fudgy, you know, that kind of brownie or a chocolate covered cannoli. I will say the Snow Princess makes the best chocolate chip cookies I've ever had in my life. And a really good chocolate chip cookie is tough to beat. But uh, if you're at, if you're throwing in fancy dessert and now I'm just going to get hungry, I'm going to have to go find one. And they do. Uh, you do find them gluten free occasionally. It's not that hard to do it because uh, I think they can use almond flour. But tiram- uh, tiramisu when it's good for is like next level for me. I, I get very excited about tiramisu. Cannoli can be great, but the shell is often a little bit, a little bit, uh, uh, what do you call it? The stale. And then that's no good. That's why you cover it in chocolate. Right. And then you just dribble, drizzle the chocolate sauce all over and it's good. So anyway. Um, oh, but back to our law enforcement discussion before we start Sorry, talking Sorry, I, I about couldn't it. help myself. Sorry. No, no, no. Dude, I am now, I'm, now all I can think about is how I can, how can I get in the most comfortable Netflix watching position tonight with the most delicious ice cream possible? That's now, that's now my, my mantra for the evening. Uh, but for, for law enforcement purposes, holding somebody down, uh, holding somebody down is very difficult to do. Um, you know, and if, I don't know how many of you have siblings used to wrestle with your siblings, it, it, you know, to, if someone's roughly your size to try to kind of pin them in one place, it's very difficult to do. Anyway, John, great point on, on why police are needed, even in psychological distress situations. And that a psychiatrist is not going to people just think that they can deescalate. That's what I meant about the show. You know what? They have these. Oh, there are a lot of these law enforcement shows where it's some kind of a, you know, like the mentalist or some kind of psych expert or whatever it is who can just show up. And the person would be like, you're right. I don't want to hold a hostage anymore. And my dad never loved me. And also, I'm now going to tell you all the crimes I've committed, probably with your tape recorder in front of you. You know, like that's I know enough about law enforcement for having worked alongside cops to know that that's not, that's not how it goes in the real world. It's not how it goes. Uh, Chris. Hey, Buck and Mark Pence absolutely destroyed Kamala just as I knew he would. I'm still so proud. I voted for Trump Pence. I can't wait to do so yet again. They can't keep us down as long as our shields are high. Thanks for all you guys do in the, in the freedom hunt. Stay well, fellas. Well, Chris, Mark and I send our, our thanks and regards to you. And uh, yeah, the, the Pence, Look, I, I did not say that Trump was getting an A minus for his debate. Uh, I think he won, but it was it was should have been better than it was in my in my view, in my view. And uh, Pence, I think, gets a solid A minus. And just because giving an A, I feel like that's tough to do. Pence did a, a fabulous job. It, it pitch perfect for who he is. I mean, that was you couldn't have asked. 
you couldn't really have asked for a better performance from Mike Pence than what he gave. And that's really all you can ask, right? So I, I think that that kind of answers itself there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Next up here, we got John. Hey, Buck, great show. I think the Democrats and media should keep doing what they're doing. So far, it's all backfiring on them. Keep on putting out these polls where Biden is way ahead. Then, like in part, uh, like 2016, part of their base will stay home and not vote thinking Biden is a shoe in and Trump will win by a landslide. We should all still respond as if they're accurate polls and get out and vote for Trump. This is clearly a battle between good and evil. The only way to counter their lies is with a blitz of truth. The Lord is on the side of righteousness. All the best to you and producer Mark. John, I want you in my foxhole, man. You're ready to go, ready to storm the enemy. I like it. I like it. Producer Mark, favorite war movie? I don't know if I have one off the top of my head. You've seen Saving Private Ryan, right? Okay, yeah, I'll put that in the top slot. You can't, it's hard to beat that. I mean, that doesn't have to be the top slot, but I figured you've probably seen that, so that would be a good one. But what was the one with the guy that wouldn't shoot the gun? That was amazing. That was a great um, movie, yeah. Great movie. And I actually didn't think it would be that good, and I'm blank. Oh, uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Yes, Hacksaw Ridge. that was the best one I've seen recently. I, You know, it's funny. that I, I like it when I, when I go into something thinking, eh, I don't know how good this will be. And I'm, I, I was very skeptical. I'm like, first of all, Mel Gibson has had his issues, to put it mildly, and he was the director. And uh, that guy who's from the social network, I don't remember the actor's name, but, you know, I don't know. I just... The whole thing just struck me as really, and that movie is is phenomenal, and what makes it even more powerful is after you watch it, and then you read the Medal of Honor citation for what he actually did, and so it's based on, I mean, it's, it's not like loosely based on a true story, I mean, it's like a true story, I mean, they had to obviously make up the dialogue and stuff, and maybe add a little bit of dramatic flourish, but... Well, that guy did. I don't know. It was, it was incredible. So, yeah, I totally agree with you. Hacksaw Ridge, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's a great movie. Um, my brothers and I talk. My brothers and I have seen all the action movies and all the war movies pretty much the last 30 years together many, many times. Um, so we, we discuss this on a regular basis. Uh, what do we have now? Oh, you know what else fits in that category, by the way, for me? Uh, a thing I didn't think would be good but was good. It's very gory, though, and very... Um, you know, I feel like if it were, it could have been. Remember when they had NC-17 ratings for movies? Do you remember that? Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, that was a long. I know. I'm an old man. Um, I feel like it's almost. It's not quite there, but it's very. It's okay. It's Game of Thrones level violence, nudity, and sexuality. So not for the kids at all. And I mean, like college, college age and up to watch this. Uh, I think is is very much the way you got to keep it because it's about superheroes. I feel like usually people think superheroes, you know, they can see that that's uh, the Avengers and all these things usually are. I think PG-13, they're PG-13, right? Yes. They're never rated R. No, very rare. Only I think the one you're talking about has been rated R. Yeah, the well, The Boys. It's a show. Oh, I was um, talking about Deadpool. Oh, no, no, no. Deadpool's great. I, but I thought Deadpool would be good based on what I knew of it. Um, the The Boys which is on Amazon Prime, is really good for what... And I thought... I watched it ready to just light it up and be like, this is trash. Oh, it's like a sarcastic look at superhero movement. No, it's, a, it's actually good. It's actually good. 
So I, I would recommend that to those of you. But like I said, it's and it intentionally does things that are so violent that it kind of like hits you in the face while you're while you're like, what? It's it's ultra violent, but in a in a way that's meant to be uh, it's intentionally too violent for you to even think that it's upsetting, if that makes sense. Uh, so I don't know if that can really. You know, like they explode. A, they actually explode a whale. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff that happens that you're like, what? So anyway, um, the boys is I, I've just finished the second season of it. I thought it was I thought it was really, really good. Uh, Andy, you mentioned on Wednesday that, oh, but there is some kind of subtle anti-conservative stuff in there. But look, when something's well executed and not annoying about it, I can still enjoy it as a piece of entertainment as long as I'm aware of what's going on. Andy writes, you mentioned on Wednesday that office workers work about four hours per day. As an office worker myself, I could honestly work 18 to 20 hours per week and get work done because I know I have to bust my butt to get things done. At my office, I see it all the time. The first 20 minutes, people get their coffee, talk about the weather, lollygag around. Four hours is generous. Having worked in offices for 12 years, it's getting more and more frustrating. God bless Bucker producer Mark. I really do appreciate uh, sharing our thoughts with a nationally syndicated host here. Thanks again. Andy, thank you for writing in. And, and yeah, um, you know, yeah, I think uh, I think it's true. Most people in the office, I think the average eight hour day office worker does does feels about 90 minutes of real. I got to do something every day. That would be my guess. Having been one myself. I think that's fair. Jason writes, I love your show. I listen to it every day. I'm way back from work, but I'm curious do the Lib Democrats know what you're saying? Like, do they hear you or do you just talk to the conservative side? Do you think that Pelosi or Biden have actually heard what you're saying about them? Just wondering. Thanks for what you do. Shields high. Uh, Jason. Yeah, we get hate mail. So there definitely are libs who hear this for sure. We have very mean messages. People libs right in. They say, producer Mark, your fat Thor joke was the funniest thing that's ever been said on the radio show. No, people really do uh, listen who are libs. And uh, they get some of them just like the show because it's a high level and they know that. And I know a lot of stuff and I do a lot of research. So um, but I I don't think Pelosi listens to it. But if she does, we're waiting for you, Nancy. We would love to talk to you. All right, everybody. You got your orders for the weekend. Have a great time. Relax. Recuperate. Take care of yourself until Monday. Shields high.